Hello and welcome. You are listening to Gay with God, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Are we still searching? The stories you hear in this podcast will melt your heart and can strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible. And you can be authentically gay with God. I am your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Welcome back, everybody, to the Gay With God podcast. I'm so glad that you're back. And if you go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com, you'll see that the followers that we have are building each week. And I'm so grateful for people who are following the show, for sharing it, for posting it, for listening. I'm just so excited that we're all building a community of diversity here and that we're hearing each other's stories and holding space for what we've been through and the things that we continue to struggle with and the and all the things that are going right. You know, we have a lot of stories that things are turning out just right. And I'm so happy for everybody. So today's guest, I'm extremely excited to have you meet. And I want you to I want you to know a little bit about Ellen. So Ellen grew up and was raised in the Catholic faith and later was in a non-denominational Christian faith. In Ellen's words, I, uh, she says, I attended Catholic schools until high school. I had a spiritual nature from an early age, according to my mom. I've wanted to be a nun since the age of eight. We have that in common, although it didn't work out for me. <laughs> my mom was getting her nursing degree from Catholic University, and to their credit, a comparative religion class was a requirement. I read one of her books from that class, World Religions. That began my interest in faiths outside the ones in which I was raised. Beginning in my teen years, I studied and practiced several different spiritual paths, including Wicca, Kemetic Spirituality, Buddhism, several different styles of Zen and Nichiren Buddhism. And she did a chant. Can you say that chant for me? Yes, what she said. I practiced it, but I knew I would butcher it. <laughs> and the <laughs> penultimate, the order of the divine reality, which turned out to be a cult. That final spiritual experience with the cult was a catalyst. And from then on, something within me said that I needed a guru. Finding my guru became a yearning within me. In seeking my guru, I found a few that were definitely not for me until 2002, when Ellen finally found the guru that would be just for her. And for the first time, everything that I read from his writings resonated with me. It was unlike anything that I'd ever practiced. And with my varied experiences between religions and a cult, it was refreshing to find someone who said, don't take it on blind faith. Practice what I teach single-mindedly in your own spiritual laboratory and see for yourself. That's exactly what I've been doing for the last 19 years on this Kriyaya Yoga Path of Self-Realization Fellowship. Ellen, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I am honored to have you here. So, you know, everyone has a faith journey, and sometimes we don't realize we're on that journey, but at the age of eight, you already knew that there was definitely a spiritual tone to your journey, and that all of that was going to culminate somehow, and none of us really ever know how, but uh, you definitely had the vision that you were in in a spiritual quest. So tell us your, tell us your story. Um, I guess I'll start, I mean, we talk, 
<laughs> you read off a little bit of it, but when I was about eight years old, I just had a desire to be a nun. And my mom said I used to walk around the house with like my hands pressed together in prayer and just very austere. Um, and I remember as a kid, I used to have this dream and it was a recurring dream. And I was like a hermit in the forest. It was literally, I lived in a log cabin and it was just me in the woods and animals. It used to happen regularly over the years and um, didn't know what any of that meant. But I always felt this connection to, to God and, and to nature um, until I was about 15. My mom, um, our family attended this church and I will never forget the minister in the pulpit that day saying, ain't no broken wrists in here. And that was a slang derogatory um, term for gay men. Oh. So at 15 years old, I knew that I was no longer, I wasn't acceptable. Mm. And um, that I was not acceptable to God, to the church, to the people around me. So from then on kind of began this, this disconnection where I felt like I didn't have a right to feel connected to God, mm. um, to any spiritual practice whatsoever. So I kind of, I read different things and practiced different things. But um, when I was 17 years old, uh, that's when I came out to my family. Actually, I think I was 16. And I remember uh, waiting for my dad to get home one night. And he always worked like midnights and or worked late at night and didn't get home until fairly late. And so as I was waiting for him, I got tired and I just took my finger and drew into our carpet the words, I'm gay. We have really thick carpet. Wow. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and while I was waiting, of course, I fell asleep. And so when he got home, he got the shock of his life um, to see that. And my dad and I were very close. So that's probably why I came, came out to him first. Mm-hmm. But my parents were, they, I think they cried a lot. Uh, first, they wondered, like, the whole, did we do anything wrong? Was this our fault kind of thing? Um, their questions were like, There's, you didn't do anything wrong. This is just who I am. Mm-hmm. And in Michigan, in the Detroit area, we have this um, center called Affirmations. And it is the oldest uh, LGBTQ organization in Michigan. And they had a youth group. So I started attending the youth group. And that was so affirming to find all these kids there who were just like me. Yeah. So your parents, although heartbroken in one sense and not knowing whether or not um, things were going to be okay for you, uh, they didn't disown you. They didn't stop loving you. No, actually, one of my friends um, from the Affirmations group, when she came out to her parents, they kicked her out. And oh my. my parents let her stay with us uh, until oh. she found some place. Oh, big yeah. hugs to your parents. Big hugs. That's awesome. Yeah. So my, my parents were really loving and accepting. And my dad kind of, it was a little bit weird because he felt like he found the son he never had. I'm like, no, I'm still your daughter. <laughs> 
Um, but they they were great. They used to drive me to affirmations. They were supportive. Um, the year I went to the prom, because I didn't go to my own, I didn't really feel mm-hmm. comfortable um, around the kids in my school, didn't like the music, whatever. And I won prom king, and uh, that was a lot of fun. So I had a really um, good experience with my family, um, my friends. I was afraid initially, you know, of my mm-hmm. friends finding out or me telling them, and they were all fine. Nobody, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, and? And? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, these are, you know, the girls that I've known since we were like 10 years old, and um, they've been wonderful and loving ever since, and we've been friends for over 30 years, and wow, it is not an issue. It never has been. Yeah. So, so when you were told basically by the church that, you know, you're not going to be okay here and, and you didn't feel welcome there and you had that dream of being a nun, what happened to that dream? Um, that dream faded away for me um, for a very long time. Um, I actually, so when I turned 20, I ended up getting married to a man. Did you? Um, I did. I did. I, it's like I went back into the closet. I was afraid of society and how society was treating us at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my dad's issues and and he, he said, I don't have a problem with you being gay, but you're already a woman and you're black and the world is going to be hard for you. And it's going to be even harder for you to be gay in the world that we lived in in the 90s you know mm-hmm. so that weighed on me a lot um especially after having a, just a homophobic experience I was with a girlfriend and we were holding hands and we were at like the campus around the University of Michigan and you know guys were like dykes and it was a really crude word and of mm-hmm. course they didn't mean it and, and they meant it, it as um, as a way to shun us yes and so things like that just kind of um made me go back within myself and retreat and so yeah. when I was 20 I got married and had a baby at 23 years old and it was after I had my daughter that that uh that that yearning for being a nun really started uh resurrecting itself so to speak okay and i've had it off and on ever since Mm -hmm. but that's obviously not a path for me i've already you know gone through the stages of being married and having having a child and the catholic um being a catholic nun definitely at this point in my life didn't appeal to me any longer Mm-hmm. And my church actually um, has an order of monks and nuns. But again, it's I'm over 40, I already have a kid, and I'm thinking, you know, my mother's older, and I want to be there to, to support and nurture her. So mm-hmm. in this last um, year and a half with the COVID ordeal, um, I've actually kind of turned my life into what I think it would be like to live as much like a nun as I possibly could. Yeah, yeah, we're all sequestered. <laughs> we're not sequestered, but <laughs> cloistered, I guess, is the word I was searching for. <laughs> Sometimes we feel like we're sequestered. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, it has definitely felt like that. But there's been, you know, a deepening of my spiritual practice, a deepening of, of my connection with God and um, a deepening of my my life of prayer and praying for other people mm-hmm. and um, really just focusing on how can I be more compassionate? Can, because there are, there have been a lot of instances with all of this where I felt like, oh, well, maybe people would be a little more kind, a little more patient, a little more, and I haven't experienced very much of that. No, no. In the world. So mm-hmm. I determined that if I didn't experience it out in the world, then the best way for me to do that was to be the person giving more kindness, more love, more understanding mm-hmm. uh, in all of my interactions with people. So that's mm-hmm. just kind of been my my experiment over the last um, year and more so uh, in a very focused manner in the last five or six months. Yeah. So, so if you don't mind, tell me a little bit, I'm, I'm going way back here to when you were eight and, and I'm just wondering when you were thinking about being a nun, what, what appealed you to that idea? What, what was the draw for you? Um. Well, probably seeing the nuns that uh, ran my school, Uh Mm -hmm. it's really odd because they weren't very happy people. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a shame? (laughs) It, It is. But... I didn't think that it always had to be that way. I mean, right. learning a little bit about the saints, you know, as a kid, um, just learn. I think learning about the saints and seeing these nuns that have this dedicated life and they were married, they were married to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like something about that appealed to me. Uh huh. Yeah. And um, yeah, it just it just called to me, and it still does you know well you know but the way that speaks to me is that like i said earlier that you already knew that a spiritual path was beckoning you and at that age as it was with me when when i said that i'd had that idea too that or it wasn't a calling so much i don't think but i thought it'd be really cool to be a nun because of that deep connection to jesus and for me I never knew I was gay when I was young. I had no idea, but I also had the direct feeling that I was different and I wasn't okay, which meant I wasn't worthy. And, you know, hanging out with Jesus and being married to Jesus and being a nun, that should be a shoe into heaven, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I really feel like my connection, I was trying to figure out how to fit in to my spiritual life without even knowing why I was needing to figure that out yet. I was trying to tell myself the truth, but I, I didn't have the truth yet um, in my mind or, or anywhere close to, to being able to figure that out. So, you know, sometimes I think that as we're searching for our faith journey or when we're on that faith journey, a lot of times the motivation can, can be how we feel about ourselves in connection to how other people look at us, how other mm-hmm. people, you know, how we appear to other people and their judgments. So we kind of shy away from that and try to gravitate toward where would we feel safe and where would we feel loved? And, you know, of course that'd be, you know, married to Jesus. <laughs> how cool is that? <laughs> I didn't start to feel different from the other other girls until I was maybe like 11 or 12. So okay. 
um, that puberty stage is where I noticed a difference and all the girls used to point out the differences in me. Um, I have uh, had a mustache since I was about 11 or 12 years old. Really? So, yeah, yeah. Actually, um, just recently, I realized that I'm intersex. I have I like different variations of hormones and other things that make me an intersex person. And mm-hmm. so I had no idea, but all of that started in, in puberty. So just being a mm-hmm. very hairy young girl who's, you know, a bit awkward. Um, and I like to hang out with the boys and I played basketball instead of cheerleading and I was a bowler and all mm-hmm. these other things just made me stand out a little bit differently from mm-hmm. other girls. So that became, you know, a factor of teasing at that age. So yeah, at eight, I was, I mean, I've always been very girly. And so there wasn't anything that made me feel different until I got, you know, a little bit older. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, so I'm very interested in how your faith journey then continued that you, you have really studied and researched and, and you've done a lot of work on, on your path. So tell me how that all started. Um, I'm a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. I started reading when I was like three years old. Um, my mom was in school. So mm-hmm. whatever my mom did, I wanted to do. And then when she was, or when I was um, about 11 is when she went back to school. And that book, World Religions, the thing that stood out to me the most about reading that book was learning about Buddhism. And when I was about 15, I think I went to the library. Yes, the library. I used to love to go to the library uh, up the street from our house. And they had all these different um, books that you could buy. They were getting rid of at the library. So I bought art books. And then there was this book on um, Buddhism. I think that was... Um, by a Tibetan Buddhist, actually, mm-hmm. called Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism by Chogyam Trungpa. Wow. I started <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful, girl. <laughs> I love it. I started reading that book, and from then on, I just felt this connection with this, this path. I started meditating. I don't really, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just, you know, sitting in the silence at that time. Um, and then when I was about, about 17 years old, um, I was dating this girl and she had uh, a Ouija board. Uh-huh. So I got a little interested in things Wicca. And so I bought every book I could think of, <laughs> everything I could find. There was no um, Amazon.com at that time. So for me, it was Borders. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And um, I was just reading everything that I could, and then I practiced everything that I could. Mm -hmm. Um, Scott Cunningham wrote quite a few books, and some of them were on herbalism, so they got me interested in herbs. But Mm -hmm. um, So I practiced Wicca, and one of the teachings was, you know, study and practice this for a year and a day. And if after that time you don't feel this is the right thing for you, then, you know, bless it be and move on. And Mm -hmm. so... Mm -hmm. That's what I did. Studied and practiced. And there were some elements that I felt really connected to. But with most things, I need a much deeper connection than what that was able to give me. There was like 
these are the gods and the goddesses and things of nature, which, you know, I absolutely love nature and love being uh-huh. in it from the time I was a kid. But what is there to give me this, this harness, this connection to, to the divine? And I didn't, I didn't find that. I didn't experience that. Um, there was still a big disconnect for me. So I learned about Kemetic spirituality, which is um, the original word for the Egyptians. Okay. And since that's something that is connected to Africa, that's something that's connected to um, part of my heritage um, from the country that my ancestors were from, Mm -hmm. one of the many countries, um, I felt like, okay, well, maybe this is something I could feel connected to. And still, there was always something missing. I practiced it for a while, immersed myself in every book, every teaching. There were lectures. There were um, there were teachers that I would listen to their lectures, and I, I found some things that I could actually put into practice. Like I learned actual meditation practices at that time. I learned about different types of chanting and how it um, connected to different parts of of the body and the chakras and things like that. Mm-hmm. So those things are really interesting. And so I felt like I was gathering all of this knowledge, but there was still this connection missing that I just kept hungering for. Um, so then there was um, Zen Buddhism and a couple of different forms. Um, Korean Zen Buddhism um, from the two different temples that I attended here. And I almost became a, a Buddhist priest or started the seminary. Um, but again, you know, uh, in Buddhism, there is no, they say there's no belief in God. Uh-huh. And I've read different accounts and different uh, sutras of, of Buddha. And I never ever quite felt like he didn't believe in God. I felt like that just wasn't a question that that he ever answered or anything that was important to him because the most important thing was to find the true self. It was enlightenment. So whether you believe or not wasn't really important. It was the most important thing was to go with it um, in order to relieve, you know, the suffering. Mm-hmm. But I still wanted something that would show me how to connect with God, which was obviously within all of us, right? If we were created in God's image. And so, you know, that just kept being this hunger that was never fulfilled. So I ended up meeting up with a friend um, and she told me about the... Nishrin Buddhism, and I started attending those gatherings and practicing the Namyoho Renge Kyo, and um, it was beautiful. I'm really drawn to languages, to foreign languages, um, mm. all types. I love to hear it, and usually I can listen to someone and tell like what country they're from, and I just find it beautiful. So chanting and practicing with a diverse group of people from you know different cultures different uh countries of origin um i love the multiculturalism of it um and the practice there was a calming aspect of it and and that was great but like after we would chant and practice there was like 
you know, drinking and smoking and eating and merriment. And I was just kind of like, okay. Weren't we, <laughs> weren't we just pure a minute ago? <laughs> I felt really pure a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, like very, ah, it was just so divergent from what I'm used to a spiritual practice being and not just something that you sit and do in this moment. And then the very next moment you're doing, you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. that was um, another big disconnect. So this this um, same friend who introduced me started telling me about this uh, book, Autobiography of a Yogi. And she said that there's a saint in this book and she doesn't eat. She didn't eat anything and she could live off of just cosmic energy. And at the time I had been like a uh, raw food. I experimented, dabbled in raw foodism for, you know, years off and on. So she knew that was something that would appeal to me. So I was like, okay, I want to read this book. And she was kind of like a a vagabond. She lived in her, she didn't live in her car, but she kind of lived in her car. She would go from (laughs) here to there and everywhere and had so much stuff in her car. It was like piled up to the windows. So she said, well, it's in my car, the book. If you can find it, it's yours. Mm. Okay. (laughs) So I did not find the book in her car. (laughs) (laughs) Searched through um, the layers, including the trunk, and didn't find it. (laughs) So at the time, my mom was going to um, Renaissance Unity, uh, one of the Unity churches, and I found a book by Paramahansa Yogananda. It was called The Divine Rom- the, the Divine Romance or Man's Eternal Quest. I think it was actually Man's Eternal Quest. And at this time, my dad was um, my dad was sick, and we later uh, found out that he was dying. Oh, yeah. uh, that was in two thousand two. And mm. as I was reading this book, every time I opened it and would read different things. It just resonated with me. And I remember reading um, a lecture he gave called Answered Prayers. And so as I drove to the hospital every day to see my dad, I would have one simple prayer because if, you know, this man says that God will answer your sincere prayers, here it is. I want a parking space every time I get to this hospitals so that I can go see my dad as soon as possible and spend as much time with him as I possibly can. And so that was truly my my one sincere prayer. And every time I turned into that parking lot, there was a parking space for me. Wow. It was right there. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this. That's fun. (laughs) (laughs) And that simple prayer um, really, and it being answered really was like the start to the spiritual path that I've been on now for the last 19 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So in, in your mind and in your soul, do you think that all religions are connected to one creator of all that is? Do you think that there's a piece of that creator in everything? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's like we come from all these different countries. We speak all these different languages. Everyone has a different language uh, or religion in which they connect with God. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why there are so many varied religions. It doesn't mean that because, you know, Hindus may say that there are 50,000 gods or Christians say that there's only one. Well, there is only one. But we mm-hmm. all connect with God in a way that's very personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I believe that love is what connects us all. And I think there's love in a lot of different um, spiritual communities. And, you know, when I look at, at how everything got started and I read back to, you know, some of the earlier writings and it's like, wow, you know, everybody had their own opinion as to who created what and how this all flowed. But the, the binding message has always been love. And if you're out of that, you get the radicals, you get, you know, people who are, are trying to convince everybody of everything, but it's, it's the love that I think unites all of us. And that's where the diversity is. If, if I'm made in God's image, well, is that the energy of God's image? Is that how my face look? Is that the color of my skin? Is that how I was raised? You know, it can be, yes, (laughs) We just had a discussion in our formation class yesterday, and, and it was talking about the, fem- the feminine side of God, that God is mother and God is father, and that that's all embracing, you know, and I thought, man, I would never have heard that in my church growing up. It's God the father, because it says that in the prayer. This is how you pray, God the father. And I get that. I know that's in the Bible, but I also know that there is, there is fluidity in all of us, just like within your intersex, you know, being, I mean, we are all fluid and some of us are on one end of the spectrum and, or the other. And some of us, you know, it's really hard to tell, you know, so it's, it's that fluidity in us that I'm wondering, well, what's the image of God then if, if we're so fluid and if we have, you know, extremes within us, why can't God, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I connect the most with God is divine mother. Mm-hmm. So that's my chosen way of, of, of connecting and actually feeling God throughout mm-hmm. my day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a practice of mine to talk to God as the mother and to feel that love present within me growing because, mm-hmm. because I'm connecting with God in that way. That's something that I never experience growing up that's something I was never told um being Catholic it was God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit uh-huh. so you know there was Mary but you know she was Jesus's mother and that's you know she's not God she's not part of that whole holy trinity yep um but thinking of God as the divine feminine like what could be more loving? What could be more nurturing for right. me? That's that's it. That's right. That's right. And and for folks that you know, have had bad experiences with men or with their own fathers, you know, that's such a powerful um aversion, you know, to having some patriarchy being over top of you. I mean, that's just it's it can feel very abusive. Um, in my quest, I I tell people that it it was hard for me once I had walked away from the church and then tried to find my way back, but it was hard for me to say God, just the name, 
of God would give me that visceral feeling of condemnation. But I could say creator of all that is, because to me, that took in everything. And it didn't matter the gender and it didn't matter. Can you hear them? Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, the Gay With God community gets to hear the children uh, making their voices known. So <laughs> if you didn't hear it, the dogs were barking. If you did hear it, you know what I'm talking about. But um, using the word creator of all that is gave me comfort that I was still connected to my deep spirituality, but I didn't have to put a religion to it and I didn't have to put a name to it other than that. Um, so I totally embrace the divine mother God. I, I loved, I loved, I love the way it sounds, you know, I just love the way it sounds and the nurturing part, because sometimes in the Bible, we don't see a nurturing God as I read it just in the, in the scripture. Sometimes it doesn't seem real warm and fuzzy <laughs> and maybe it's not intended to be. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. It, it definitely doesn't feel warm and fuzzy, but I felt warm and fuzzy when it came to Jesus, when it yeah. came to his love, when it came to um, his love for his disciples, when it came to, mm-hmm. you know, how he so loved the world. Like all of yes. that was pretty, pretty amazing for me. And that was one of the reasons I think that caused me to go on a search um, mm-hmm. as a child, because I had questions that, no one in the church or the Bible could not answer certain things. Just I'm like, well, why is this? Um, and they couldn't answer it. Or if they did, it definitely wasn't a satisfactory answer to my little curious mind. Yeah. Um, one of the biggest ones was about reincarnation because my mm-hmm. mom gave me this Bible when I was little and I, I was reading um, in the Bible. It was... I don't remember if it's at the front or the back, but it talks about like the council of Nicaea and all these different councils that got together to decide what would go in the Bible, what they would do, things like that. And no one could explain to me like why this made any sense. And well, if they decided to remove stuff, well, what was missing? Exactly. So some of those missing elements um have been explored and explained in my spiritual path and it, it makes a lot of sense i remember reading the gospel of nazarene mm-hmm. and reading the gospel and reading jesus in a way that wasn't um authorized or wasn't in the bible there was so much you know love this gentleness that made me feel like it was a more feminine connection um to him than i'd ever really thought of it the bible always seemed very uh masculine very harsh and very mm-hmm. you know exacting to me like mm-hmm. I that kind of thing and as i grew and, and studied different paths and then came back to the bible that just it changed a lot for me in a good way Didn't yeah you know much more connected to my own you know, spiritual upbringing that I ever did growing up, like the saints. I never really got the saints until <laughs> I found my own spiritual path. And Paramahansa Yogananda talks about um, meeting um, this woman in Bavaria, and she had a stigmata. And mm. just experiencing this man from this Hindu upbringing 
have this deep spiritual experience connecting to Jesus and to someone who was that connected to have the same marks on her body that he had. And it, it just, it moves something in me. So going back to my own spiritual roots through my present spiritual practice has been a really beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you ever re- read um, the book about Mary Magdalene? I think it's called Mary Magdalene Revealed. And it's the lost scrolls of what Mary Magdalene had written and it, and it was, they were burned and then they found pieces of it. So it's not like all of the, every single verse of what she wrote. Uh, but it was, it's very revealing in the fact that she was definitely a leader of the apostles and she was a teacher and she, she would explain what Jesus said to them. <laughs> yes. Many, many years ago. And I was recently um, rereading parts of the Bible where Mary found the, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. Right. And it just reminded me of how she ministered to the apostles. They did not believe it, that he was risen. It was mm-hmm. her. Why did yep. he choose to reveal himself to her first and not yes. and not them so it's just very very interesting how women have never really held place be it catholic church and you know it's more common in 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 other um denominations of the christian faith now for women to be leaders and ministers and stuff like that but to deny women the authority to be priests yes actually were in his time just seems extremely counterintuitive and it's like you're missing the point yes you're missing the point i get what you're saying during his ministry he had the 12 but after the resurrection like isn't that supposed to be the the focus at what do we do after the resurrection and who was the first Right. He said that who was last shall be the first. And she was certainly the first. She certainly was. Yes. um. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's why some people are so um, uncomfortable with the Bible. And, and part of it is the, the different versions that were done. And who did you write this for? And like you said earlier, who, who made that decision? Was it a group of women sitting around talking about what should go in that book? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, and so I love it that, that they're beginning to see that there's great wisdom um, that women have always had. And it's, it's not all replicated in the Bible. It's not retold. Um, clearly the way it was and that things in the Bible that seem clear, like the, the, uh, the verses that we talk about the clobber verses and, and why everybody will condemn homosexuality, that even those verses are not really as clear as they seem to be. And there's so much that goes into that, that separates the truth of what was being told back then and the different words that were misinterpreted and the concepts that were misinterpreted. Um, so I, I, I love the fact that, that, that this is all now being talked about and that we can come together and say, yeah, we were wounded <laughs> back in the day. We were called horrible names. Some people were disowned by their families. Some people were killed and are still being killed for being the person that we were created to be in, in the image 
of the creator of all that is the God that of, of our understanding. And yet people still want to hang on to the truth that they were told instead of search like you, you have searched, <laughs> you, you've put in the work and for you, it was great joy because you're, a, a, you know, a, a great reader, but you know, some people never put in any kind of exploration into what they believe and why they believe it other than the pastor told me so. Yes. Yeah. That, that's a really hard one. Um, my, my eldest sister and I used to be extremely close mm. and she goes to, I think a church of God in Christ. I don't really know a whole lot besides they don't play music and it's not joyful. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we need to know. <laughs> They don't play music and it's not joyful. Done. <laughs> Joy, like God is joyful. So if you're not bringing me that, I, I'm not interested. Not but it. <laughs> uh, the sister, we were like extremely close. We were different moms, but um, we just always had this connection growing up. And she was, I mean, she was actually the first person that I came out to. Um, before I came out to my dad, she was the first person in the family. She was the mm. first person that I told a lot of stuff, you know, to, because I just always felt safe with her. And in the last seven, eight years or so, um, she got married and her husband is homophobic. Mm. And apparently, you know, she's been very receptive to those ideas. So now we don't have a relationship. So it's really oh. interesting to have gone through, you know, the teenage years and um, being married and divorced and everything that I've gone through and experienced and to now, you know, later on have that one person in my life no longer be in my life because I'm gay. It's like, mm -hmm. we regress to that. Right. Um, but belief is a it's a very powerful thing mm -hmm. um and if you feel like your salvation is on the line based on the people that you're connected with yep. then it's easy to make you disconnect from people and it's very um it's it's so common you know mm -hmm. it's so common mm -hmm. um and it's it's sad and it's disappointing but i have so much love from family and friends and people that I work with and um that you know I accept that for what it is and mm -hmm. I don't spend a lot of time um I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it from time to time it'll, it'll cross my mind but when you have so much love and joy in your life you have to be able to to move forward mm -hmm. um if there were ever a time where she changed her mind, we could certainly have a conversation. But, you know, I have to keep keep moving forward and mm -hmm. expanding the love and joy in my life with the people who are here. Hey, yes, yes. And I and I I feel that pain. You know, I, I do feel that pain of of siblings turning their back. But on on a on a hopeful note, I can tell you that I was disowned from my brother for seven years. And for seven years, I wasn't allowed to see his children or be a part of his life because 
he was on the narrow path and that's how he, he wrote me these. We had this email exchange one evening and it got quite ugly and, and it was ugly on both sides, unfortunately. And um, because my wounds came, come out as anger sometimes. And, um, and so at the, and he would always sign off, you know, on the narrow path. And I kept thinking that narrow path is a one foot bridge and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised you're not falling off of it yourself, but <laughs> And, and I, and I said to him, the very last thing I said to him as well, you know, this is your choice and, and I'll abide by your choice. And, um, if you ever change your mind, my arms will be open. And, um, seven years went by, nothing said we didn't have the only conversation we had at one point was my mother was going through some health problems. And I said, in a conversation to him, I had to call him on the phone and I said, I'm only calling for this. And we talked about whatever we needed to talk about. And then I said, you know, but it's going to be a real shame if the only time we ever see each other after this is at her grave. And that's all I said. And then that very next Christmas, um, we, we were going in, we would always change. My wife and I would always change when we were going into Christmas, depending on when she knew my brother was coming because we weren't supposed to be there at the same time. And so, um, we were going in on Christmas day and apparently every, that was going to be okay this year. And so we were going in on that day. And when I got ready to open up the door to mama's house, the door swung open and there was my brother. And I, this fear shot through me. And I said, I didn't know you were going to be here. And he says, well, are you coming in or are you not? And so I came in, he grabbed me, we had a hug. I'm like feeling like I'm in the twilight zone, you know, and he acted like nothing had happened, although it was quite tense. I mean, it, the, the tension in the home was palpable, but he never spoke of it again. And our relationship began to grow, but, but I always felt incomplete because we never spoke of it. And I was just, but I knew instantly that I didn't need to speak of it, or it was almost like the, the, the wounded one would, would run back into the woods. <laughs> I didn't want to take that, that chance of scaring him back off. But, um, you know, so it, it, there is always hope. I believe that as long as we're above ground and still breathing, change can happen. Miracles can happen and love can return as soon as someone has their next spiritual growth. And so, you know, I, I used to practice um, sending soul messages to people where I would have my soul connect to the soul of the other person with all of my love and all of my intention for how I wanted our relationship to be or to, you know, to give some some healing to, to the other side. Um, because I think souls can connect energetically in a way that our, our brains and our words get in the way. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about, you know, your journey as far as inter, you know, I love it. How words uh, you're, you're not 62 yet. Are you <laughs> 62 can be really a, a rough ride. <laughs> when your brains, the pandemic, my, my age, I'm not sure which happened first, but um, so in your life, as you were journeying through, what did you want to do for work after, after, you know, deciding that the nun, you know, is a spiritual path, but maybe not your calling at this moment. So what, what gives you joy and, and how do you serve in, in a capacity that fulfills you? Um, I actually became a massage therapist and that was kind of an outgrowth of um, supporting and caring for my grandmother and my father as they were ill and dying. Aww. And so I did that for uh, about 
10, 11 years, and mm-hmm. I worked um, mostly in hospice with hospice patients. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So that was wonderful and fulfilling work. Um, I got to work with a lot of different people and families. And so to be able to be there um, with those people and connect with them um, in, in their phase of dying and acceptance and and actually being a person who was there to just give them comfort and support mm-hmm. and um, relief was, mm-hmm. man, it was just a tremendous feeling. Yeah. And um, so I did that for a while and I ended up experiencing burnout. Mm-hmm. And um, now I work at, at Whole Foods. I'm a buyer oh. in the uh, health and beauty section. And so... I've actually always had a love for like nutrition and natural products, herbs, and learning about that stuff. So when I was about 18 years old, I started working at a food co-op or volunteering at a food co-op um, in my neighborhood. And then I just read everything that I could on natural health. Of course you did. Um, <laughs> on supplements, on all this stuff. So um, it's funny because when people come in about all these various different ailments, concerns, whatever, um, kind of like an, an encyclopedia and I can, you know, just say, oh, this is, you know, beneficial to help support the body system of, you know, be it, uh, well, during COVID, uh, <laughs> that, that was like really intense because people were in my department, um, and they would not give me social dis- do any social distancing. Everybody was there to how can they support their immune system? So um, just I stay abreast of whatever research there is um, about natural health to mm-hmm. help people support and sustain, you know, their best health. Wonderful, so wonderful. It's a passion. I absolutely love it. Um, and I take a lot of the stuff myself and find it very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do believe that our bodies are already wired to be healthy and we just, we supplement it with the things that were already here for us. And, and the more natural we can get, the better our bodies feel. And I, I, I was, um, I've been vegan for a very long time. Uh, oh. but you know, are you vegan also? I am. Uh, well, and I, and I've realized that I can be a very, very healthy vegan and I can be a very, very sick vegan because, Mm -hmm. you know, vegan foods like potato chips and (laughs) processed, they can be, oh yeah, baby, (laughs) speak to me about that. So, you know, you've got to be really careful about what you put in your body because I see a difference between when I eat organically and fresh and when Mm -hmm. I have too much of the processed vegan foods that really are loaded sometimes with a lot of nasty nasty ingredients and it's not all healthy so no, I, that's true. or a lot of salt and sugar and, mm-hmm. and just, yeah it, yeah it it's like yeah because they got to put something in it to make it taste good or taste like it used to you know i was um i actually didn't know this but um i'll share it because we're talking about it i used to eat a lot of garden products and garden oh. products are are vegan options to chicken or or beef or other 
other flavors that you're used to tasting in the in the other world <laughs> but um they have a, a thing in it called soy protein isolate and i was told by a nutritionist that i was working with one time that 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 whenever you take a whole food and you isolate only a part of it it can create cancer and I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I've been eating these for like five years. And she said, you need to go to your, your freezer and throw it all out. And I said, do you know how much those little bags cost? That's a lot of money for those little bags. <laughs> she said, you need to go throw it out and don't ever eat that again. And I hope I'm not getting in trouble by using the name of the product. But, um, you know, I, <laughs> I did. I threw it out. It, she, she really scared me about that. But th that showed me right then that I can find something vegan and it definitely is not going to make me healthy. And I have to be really, really careful about what I put in this little body of mine. Yes, we all do. I've been um, dealing with a lot of different health issues myself and finding myself like just going to a completely different health system. Um, but when you said the soy protein isolates, that made me think about the fact that when I have customers come to me, and they want to take, um, let's say they want to take um, calcium. Mm -hmm. You know, most things work in nature in harmony. So they work synergistically. Okay. So I'm always encouraging people that if you take one thing, then you need to also understand what is the opposite? What is the synergy of that? So what should you take with it so that your body is more able to readily absorb that? Because a lot of times we don't absorb things properly because we don't have the complementary thing that goes with it in nature. Oh, Ooh, you and I must talk about that more later. <laughs> I'll, I'll meet you after the podcast. We'll have a conversation. No, seriously. I would love to, I would love to pick your brain about that. Um, especially during the COVID, um, tide, because, um, I went last weekend to, um, the wild goose festival to do the podcast live and everybody was mandated to be vaccinated. You could not attend the festival without having the vaccination so that it could be as safe as it possibly could be. But my friend also then said, no, wait, that's not enough. You need to, <laughs> and she like gave me this bag of supplements and said, these are all for immune build. You need to take all of these right now and keep taking them. And I'm like, okay, okay. Um, but you know, I would love to have a conversation with you about here's my bag of, of immunity stuff. <laughs> I'm not complimentary. I'm sure I'm not complimenting some other side of that, but I'd love to know. <laughs> so, yeah. During all of this, I had a few um, family members and family friends get sick. And so mm. I definitely helped build some of those care packages to help people okay. get through COVID. And thank God they're all well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Yay. I can totally. Okay, girl. <laughs> you and me, uh, wellness check. <laughs> so one of the questions that I, uh, that I always ask at the end uh, of my guests is looking back over your journey, you know, coming out in the carpet, <laughs> so to speak, which is so brilliant. I came out in the carpet, um, <laughs> you know, all of that angst and, and everything that you went through uh, with the bullying and, and the disconnect and learning more about your body and allowing yourself to be exactly who you are and coming into love with who you are. Um, if you found someone that, that came to you and they were struggling with this faith journey, with coming out, with owning their spirituality, what is something that you wish that someone had told you? What would have been helpful to hear from them? Probably 
um, that I'm not alone. Mm. A lot of times when we go through any type of struggle, we always feel extremely isolated mm. and alone in it. And knowing that you are not alone and then finding that tribe, your tribe, mm-hmm. um, of people that help you to feel more connected um, is extremely important. So one, you're not alone and two, find your tribe. Oh, awesome. uh, and I have different types of tribes and <laughs> they are all just, they're what I need for whatever that particular thing is. Like mm-hmm. my um, LGBTQ spiritual group from church, uh, we meet once a month uh, on Zoom. And that's something that I've cried for probably my entire life to know that you can be spiritual and gay you can have a relationship with god when you're gay they're they're not you know diametrically opposed mm-hmm. so that is that's been everything to me that's awesome i love that wisdom thank you ellen you are a gem and i'm so glad that that we were connected by a mutual person we both know and i'm so glad that you came on the show you are you are awesome and, and I love being in your presence. I love getting to know you. And I think that um, our friendship is not over. I can't wait to see where this connection goes because I, I feel kindred spirit with you on many levels. And I, I thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I feel the same. And I'm grateful to Pamela for introducing us to one yes. another. So yes. I'm definitely sure that we're going to continue this journey. So. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and everyone else who's listening, thank you so much for tuning in again to Gay With God. Please remember to help us get the word out. If you know someone who would be a great guest for the show, please let me know. You can message me uh, through the Messenger app or go to the Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. And on the right-hand side, if you'll scroll down, you'll see my email address and you can email me there. And if you're listening and you say, I, I would be a great guest for you midge well on that same right hand side you can also see uh the link where you can be um you can ask for a taping uh and and find yourself a date and time and get on my my schedule to do a taping with you uh would love to have you on so also uh if you guys are enjoying the show and you want it to continue to be visible so that we can have our own validity in this world then uh make sure that you like it share it Uh, Give us a rating on whatever platform you're listening at so that we can keep being visible uh, to other communities because we all want to walk this this road together and be in communion with one another. Um, And last but not least, if uh, you're wondering if you can be gay with God. Well, if you're authentically gay in any form or fashion, God has always been within you. And that means that you have already always been gay with God. So catch us next time on Gay With God and stay tuned. And I'm going to let you know how you can be part of the Gay With God community. Thanks, everybody. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. 
We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.